it's like who's gonna when you write something and you want it to be shared like you have to ask the fundamental question like who's the type of person who would who would share this so sometimes like if you write about facebook mark zuckerberg is not going to share your content like that's just not going to happen right like so but if you share if you write about like a smaller startup that's maybe just maybe has just gotten some seed funding and people are starting to talk about it blah blah, blah like you could you can and like you can write something send a ping to the to the to the founder or the ceo or whatever and and like eight out of ten times you'll sort of get a you'll get a response and they'll likely share it within their sort of team slack or on their twitter or whatever so i think that that's like that's what i mean i think it's understanding the scale and like if you mention someone in a in a piece that what you should if if you use their ideas how do you sort of like make sure that that they get a chance to share that stuff appropriately so that's what i mean by like building right like what you are writing determines who's going to who's going to share it and so that's just a it's just being cognizant of that hi just a quick request if you're listening to this on apple podcasts please take a minute to write a review and leave us five stars on apple podcasts because it helps us climb the charts and reach more listeners like yourself thank you sid for coming here and uh, for those of us who don't know you tell us who you are i write this weekly newsletter called sunday snapshots which is how you found me yeah. and uh, aside from that graduated college about 6 months ago and i've been i've been writing for for about a couple of years now and uh, almost and uh, I've been pretty excited to and thanks for thanks for having me on the on the show. And what were you studying in college? So I studied industrial engineering, which is kind of a for those who don't know, it's kind of a mix between computer science and maths and sort of I think it's 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 really a toolkit for solving any problem where like things need to be optimized. So I would say it's 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 also called operations research in a at other places so that's another oh. term that people might have heard of nice and what are your plans so you're getting into a job or are you working full time on the newsletter no so i have a, a i have a full time job and 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 the and the newsletter is 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 definitely on the side and when did you start this newsletter what's the story behind the beginning of this newsletter so i started this in may 2019 i think for me it was always a little bit about i'd always been a big just i i just like to read and something that i i did realize was that i wasn't necessarily retaining much of it which i i i think is the starting story of many newsletters but and, and so i just started kind of sending it to my friends and family and had had a couple of friends and, and who who would offer feedback and 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 who were sort of also in the space and so they they had some they they had they had a perspective and they were like hey like this is this is good and and i think you should keep doing it and so i've done it ever since really so whatever we're as i said like it's coming up soon on the 2 it's about a, at a month and a half or a year and a half now and and we're going to be coming up on on the second year anniversary i haven't missed a week so i would say that's that that's been uh, that's been fun to keep the streak on nice and it seems like you read a lot of books a lot of articles and you think yep. about them you try to process things in your own way and so mm-hmm. talking about your childhood when did you get into the habit of reading books i think it was somewhere around high school 
I think I I don't think I was like one of those kids who would read book as like a as like a kid or like as a, as like a very small small kid. I think I got got into it around high school, and then I think I really picked up in in college where you do have the flexibility to kind of pick and choose and decide what you want to how you want to spend your time, and and so. I, I think I kind of doubled down on, on the reading parts, especially in the latter last two to three years, uh, I was able to dedicate more time towards it. And I don't think, I, I, there always been, an, and I think you'd hear this from most people who are big readers, that it was something that was important in my family. Like education was not a thing that we would ever like be cheap about. Right. So there was no matter what I like, if there was a new flashy thing, like there was never, I would never, I would never get my hands on that. But if I needed, like, if I wanted to get like something that was even tangentially related to sort of education, I, I think I could. And, and, and I certainly stretched some, some, some interpretations there every now and then. But, but I think that that, and so it was always there in, in sort of the background, but but I don't think it, I think it really came into its own around around high school. Right. And with you starting the newsletter, did it have anything to do with the American culture of entrepreneurship and uh, starting side projects? Like, was it possible if you were in India? I, I don't see why not. I think that one thing that does, that does sort of seem to be the case is that but certainly more encouraged and it's seen as less of a distraction and, and more of is adding to your overall sort of professional or whatever experience rather than in India, there is, there is a sense of, Hey, like you should concentrate on, on X, Y, Z things, or I should say X, Y, Z things to, <laughs> to, to like, like be focused on your studies. And, and, and I, I think, I think most people have sort of come to, senses on that which is that hey like that these things are also that sort of getting doing side projects and, and stuff like that are not it is also valuable and, and and certainly is valuable in a way which is difficult to replicate for other people and so when i when i go back and and so see my see my cousins like it's it's i think there is definitely a change there and it's and it's positive so and i i think that's I think that's good. I've been watching a lot of Indians on Twitter trying to replicate what David Perel is doing with Substack and their content on Twitter threads. And it's been a significant improvement. If you went back five years, not a lot of people were trying these risky things from the Indian yep. perspective. And, and I mean, it's, and it's not really risky, right? Like what's the worst thing that can happen? You waste a bit of time, right? Like you do, let's say you do it for three to four months and, and, and some stuff doesn't connect. It's not that there's no i mean it's free one and two like it's three months of your time especially if you're doing it at a younger stage in your life it's pretty risk free it's about as risk free as an investment you can make with it hypothetically unbounded upside so it's the so for the fight like it's a it's a it's a, a call option with a lower bound and and it just goes up so so i think i think it's it's it, it's a, if I were a betting man, I would I would take that bet every single time. Right. And when you had this idea of starting a newsletter, sharing what you were reading, were you writing down notes of every podcast that you were listening or every article that you were reading? 
not really. I think I, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of read things that come, things that come my way. Or, or initially, I would, when I was starting out, I would, I would read the newspapers every, every day or, or the newspaper websites every day. And, and so I would only really write about on, on things. And, and I think this has progressively been more the case where I feel like I can offer a different perspective just because I don't think it's, and I was having this conversation with someone else earlier, like, I don't think I can be the best person to maybe cover like Stripe, right? There, there's a lot of other people who are more in the ecosystem who have greater, I guess, access to some privileged information that they can really figure out, hey, like XYZ is like the company to, this is the way to look at the, like a really large company. But I do think that my competitive advantage is I feel like I'm an observant person and like I, I feel like I interact with things on a, and, and sort of notice things a little bit a little bit more. So just an example, probably one of the most successful, definitely in, in 2020, probably the most successful thing I wrote was this breakdown of Starbucks loyalty system. And that was, that was completely like, I didn't read a newspaper or anything to, or, or I, I didn't really sort of engage with it outside. I remember having read something about it. And then I saw how the app has changed that confirmed the previous hypothesis. And I just sort of wrote a quick thing about it. It was, it was actually one of those examples of you write something very, very quickly and it really resonates versus you spend a lot of time working on something and maybe it, it's, it's just a dud. So it was, the, it was an example of the former. And, and like, that's not, I mean, I, I wasn't looking around for it. It was just something that, you know, I was interacting and like, I, I, I happened to go to Starbucks and I saw the app design and, or the app redesign. And so I think, I think that's my more successful pieces. And, and in terms of taking notes, I didn't answer your original question. In terms of taking notes, I'll only sort of take notes if I do think that I have a differentiated take on it, just because it's tough to, or I don't think there's, it's that valuable to take notes on everything that you read. It's, it's really more like, hey, this, I actually do have XYZ thoughts that sort of connect to or relate to something else. And I think that that's where, that's where you, I personally feel like I can provide value by, by, by adding notes or sort of elaborating on it. Mm. And what are the online or offline sources from where you consume content? So, I mean, obviously read, read books, which is probably the primary one, but also, but, but also looking at, articles I, I think like at, at this point it's it's somewhat easier where people like like the re, like readers will send me stuff and it's easy to talk about and like i would say every like one out of every three sort of notes is like something that or, or section is something that a reader sent but at least when i started it was it was just about going through websites scrolling on twitter looking for interesting things that I felt that I had a differentiated take on. And, and so it's, 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 it's harder in the beginning almost for sure. And then the, the only thing that gets harder is, is keeping it up in the face of anything that comes in terms of you'll, you'll obviously get busy and, 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 but that's just, that's just life. But, but the harder stuff is how do you keep like improving it? And I am of the opinion that, there's a lot to be said for just staying on the wheel, especially if you're doing it as a part-time thing, 
right? And you, and I don't necessarily have any monetary goals or any sort of audience goals. I think there's tremendous value in just being able to stay and continuously do it for months and years. And like I, I see myself doing this and in, into the into the in like into the, into the as far as the future, like I can see or or I think about. So and I think it becomes sort of a core part of your identity. And I know at some point I'll 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 have to take at least a break for for a week or two weeks and, and or you know longer and it's gonna and it's gonna really hurt to break that streak it's gonna it's gonna physically hurt i i, I definitely know that but i think i i think the it's 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 just staying on the wheel is is fundamentally is like extremely underappreciated mm. and what is your process of crafting the newsletter from the beginning so it's around that this time so, so today is you know wednesday and so it's around this time that i start thinking about Sunday and, and probably this evening, like I'll, I'll sit down, I'll, I'll add some thoughts, create basically like an outline. This outline probably has maybe 30 words. It's just the sections, the general topics, and like maybe initial thoughts, right? Like no more than sort of a sentence each for each idea. And I think once I have that, like I'll continue to think about it or sort of let it simmer at the back of my head and then, and then try, and then Saturday. Um, afternoon or Saturday night, whenever whenever I get an hour or so, I'll sort of flush that out, and then Sunday morning I'll I'll like write more publicly, add context for for the reader, try and make it a little more more punchy, a little bit more more, more interesting. Write the intro, send it out. So I think at this point it takes me about three to four hours in total. It was much higher in the beginning. I think you just get used to it, and I've felt I've I've I feel very comfortable writing in the 15 to 2000 word range. And I've been trying to like stretch that sort of muscle as, as far as I can. And I, I, it's been, it's been successful. It's been, it's, it's a hit or a miss thing in terms of how, how much I feel, how how good I feel about stretching that. But, but in terms of the process and, and, and sort of how long it takes, that's, that's sort of a general idea. Hmm. And you said that you started the newsletter with sending the articles to your friends. So how long did it take for you to realize that random strangers were reading it and they were finding it valuable? I think everyone after the, the like the first 20 people were, were strangers, right? So I think probably a couple of months. I think the, the first moment was when someone reached out and was like, hey, I'm also in at that point in time, I was in Chicago. And so someone was like, hey, I'm also in Chicago. Let's meet up. I think that was the first time where it was like, there's like actually people reading this. And that was, so, so I think that was the first point, maybe a couple, that was maybe a couple of months after, after I started. It's a like, especially if you're in a major city, it's surprisingly, like you'll hit those points surprisingly early because even if, and, and I'm not sure if you feel this, but I definitely feel this is, it feels like we're in this bubble where everyone has a newsletter. Everyone does right. this, blah, 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 blah. That's actually like as a percentage of the total addressable market for, for these things, it's so small. Like none of my close friends know, read any other newsletter except for mine. And like, I would say my friends are like reasonably smart people who would read other newsletters if they were exposed to it. So I like, just as, just as that sort of anecdotal data point, I think that it's, it's underappreciated how, how large the total addressable market is. Have you seen this feature where you can connect your Twitter to your Substack and they tell you how many people have their own Substacks? 
among all the people you follow on Twitter. So I, I have, follow, yeah, you have ahead. not. Yeah, so, I, 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 I have not, but I do see some people like subscribe via that. Right. So I connected my Twitter maybe two days back and I follow around 1000 people and 145 people had their own sub stacks. So you yeah, think about high. bubble was, it's pretty high. So you think about bubble was right because I follow certain people who are producing their own content, but outside that sphere, most of my friends, I could argue that none of my friends even know what Substack is, especially in India yeah. and what a podcast is. They're getting a, used to podcasting because of certain things that are coming up like Harsha Bogle had a very famous podcast related to Isro and then there are certain podcasts that are coming up but still it's in the very early stages no uh, totally I think I think it's uh, I, I think it's underappreciated how 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 large the market for these things are and I was listening to your interview with Taki and uh, yeah and how do you know him and David Perel I guess like I started working with David sometime around 2019 or like early 2019. I was a reader for a couple of months and then he was like, Hey, I'm coming to Chicago. He was doing a couple of you know podcast interviews. And so I, I met him or I reached out to him and, and, and met him and, and sort of this, this was before he was like super, super famous. And so I think, and, and, and we sort of developed a relationship and, 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 that's been that's been awesome and, and he's been a great sort of cheerleader which you know i, I certainly appreciate and then i met packy through the through the rite of passing course uh, right of passage course he was a part of the first cohort i was helping david with some of the course back end and so it was pretty it was pretty fun and, and like packy was certainly the breakout star of that first cohort or, or one of and i mean he's I think especially this year in 2020, he's sort of taken things to the next level and, and, and obviously focused on it full time, which is, and it's been very, very cool to see that growth. Packy's newsletter is very interesting. It's the combination of intelligence and fun. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and talk to us a little bit about David, David Perel's course, Rite of Passage. How does it help you build a newsletter like Packy has done or like yourself you have done? I mean, I really think it's it's more it's more of an exposure. It's like a good combination of exposure and like practicality. And so, in terms of the exposure, like like you sort of understand these ideas that are happening, or at least they give you like a frameworks to think about the the way that these things work. So, for example, the idea of a personal monopoly is that which is like you should talk about only the the things that only you can talk about, or the idea of infinite leverage, which is that on the internet. It, it was kind of what I was saying, which is like, there's so much, there's almost no risk and only upside. So, so, so these sort of things, they give you the frameworks, but more importantly, I think what it gives you is like this community of other people who also want to do the same thing. And there's incredible accountability and sort of positivity in that. And for a lot of people, I would say that there's something to be said of just like putting them in the same room with people who want to do similar things and a lot of people just don't have that, right? Like, I mean, I certainly felt that at when I was at college, like people were not necessarily interested in the same things that I was interested in. And so I think I, I'm, I'm sure that other people also also feel the same way. And so I think that that does, I, I think the course sort of aims to fix both of those uh, sort of points. It's interesting. I joined a weekend club, which is a sort of, you work on Saturdays with other founders, and it's a mm-hmm. community-driven thing where you are accountable to other people. 
And yep. like you said, there is something to be said about being in the community where everybody is trying to build their own thing. It's yep. motivating. And at the same time, it also builds your network. You can reach out to people who are good at maybe podcasting or maybe writing newsletters yep. or other things. Yep. I found that was very helpful. Yep. No, definitely. And I, and I think that that, like, that accountability is underappreciated. And, and like, you think about like, what do people like, like, let's, let's, if, if you move away from writing, let's say something like, people ask like, oh, why are super rich people really, really fit, for example? Like, like a lot of really, really rich people are extremely fit. Well, it's because they have the resources to go out and hire basically what's like advanced, like accountability buddy, which is a personal coach, right? Like, and like, if, right. if you were to look at really fit people, like the, the number one predictor of, of fitness or however you want to define it is, is, is do they have a personal coach or not as like a binary, binary variable? And so if you can do that for free using the internet, why not? And mm-hmm. that's, not a, that's not a novel idea, but I, I think it, it sort of, for a lot of people, it, it, there's, there's some F or some like leap of faith that they have to make to apply this idea of accountability to something other than like what people usually think of it as. So, and can you elaborate a little bit on building your own personal monopoly, putting yourself in that context? Yes. I think, I think the observation thing that I mentioned earlier uh, is really what I want to become really good at. And, and I mean, monopoly is, is, it's a tricky term, but, but I do think that, you know, there are a couple of people who do this really, really well. The person that comes to mind the most is Eugene Wei. I don't know if you've read any of his writing, but, but he writes about, he has this, his blog called Remains of the Day. And uh, he was one of the first uh, business hires at Amazon. And like, he writes this, this amazing blog. And like, a lot of his writing is like based on observation rather than like analysis. And I think to the point where I can get to that, uh, it, it, like I, I think I, I, I see him very much, um, very much as like something to aspire to, and so it's not a monopoly. But, but like I, what I want to do is do like observation-based writing uh, on stuff that I'm interested in, and and sort of make connections across sort of tech and history and like personalities, and and sort of blend it all together. I think. Uh, and I think that that's pretty reflective of the structure of the newsletter where I'll talk about a book, which is, you know, I would say eight out of 10 times is about something like uh, something tangentially related to history or, or, or biography. I'll talk about like a long read, which is more focused on just something new that's happening in, in sort of cut, that's cutting edge. And then I'll, I'll have like a, a business analysis section where or a business move of the week section which is much more focused on, hey, here's a here's a car, here's like an observation about about something that's that's happening, and so I think that that's pretty like I've I've seen that sort of convergence of what what do I want my personal monopoly to be, and 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 the, the structure of the newsletter, and and at times it's been deliberate, but mostly it's been accidental, and so I'll take the I'll take the luck, and. Uh- if you had to start the newsletter again with everything that you have learned over the past two years, what are the growth strategies that you will apply from day one? I would say like, I think the growth strategy piece is I would just like throw it out the, like I, I would even think about growth the first six months. I think the first thing is to get into the habit, like 
be able to pr- get to a level where you can produce something that you're happy with. I think that like, at least personally for me, took about six months to get to, or like four, four to six months to get to. And I, th- I think then you can start, then I would do things like, like reach out to people who have also, who are also doing newsletters, maybe do a cross post or do like guest posting for them and like collaborate on a piece together and sort of, and then being on Twitter is obviously amazing because you can have these sort of conversations with people. But the other, the, but the biggest thing I would do is depending on how you, how fast you want to scale and how much time you want to put into it. And those two things are obviously correlated. You can do a bunch of things to grow. For me, it's a lot more about, Hey, like this is, I just want to kind of share what I'm, what I'm learning. And, 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 and I think that I'm somewhat at least careful about scaling it up to a point where I can't maintain it, where, so I do, I, 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 I do sometimes joke that I'm in the expectation management business where like, once I have like three really, really good issues, lots of t- positive feedback, like I almost feel like, all right, this is going to be a l- little bit of a low week. I'm only going to write <laughs> around t- 1200 words. So I don't want the expectation to increase and that, which is fine abstractly, but I don't want it to turn into something that's, that I have to worry about it and it's not fun anymore, which at least right now is, is whatever, 80 odd issues in. It, it still is fun for me and interesting for me. And it's a great way to sort of develop relationships. So, and like, there's no, like with, I, I guess like to, to just step back and, and take a more broader view of it, like what is the point of growth, right? Like why are you trying to grow it? Is it to make money? Like that's a, that's a, different set of growth strategies is it to i guess meet more interesting people that's a different set of growth strategies is it to right like a lot of these are not like mutually like the fastest way to grow might be to put five hundred dollars worth of ads and like the roi on that might be positive in a way if i was selling let's say subscriptions to sunday snapshots that's not really what i'm trying to do and so it doesn't make sense for me to do that. So I, I would say it really depends on your goal. And that may be a cop-out answer, but it's the right answer, I believe. And in your talk with Paki, you, you were saying something about building distribution into the content itself. So can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? It's like, who's going to, when you write something and you want it to be shared, like you have to ask the fundamental question, like who's the type of person who would, who would share this? So sometimes... Like if you write about Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg is not going to share your content. Like that's just not going to happen, right? Like, so, but if you share, if you write about like a smaller startup, that's maybe just, maybe has just gotten some seed funding and people are starting to talk about it, blah, blah, blah. Like you could, you can, and like, you can write something, send a ping to the, to the, to the founder or the CEO or whatever. And, and like eight out of 10 times, you'll sort of get a, you'll get a response and they'll likely share it within their sort of team Slack or on their Twitter or whatever. So I think that that's like, that's what I mean. I think it's understanding the scale. And like, if you mention someone in a, in a piece that what you should, if, if you use their ideas, how do you sort of like make sure that, that they get a chance to share that stuff appropriately? So that's what I mean by like building Right, like what you are writing determines who's gonna who's gonna share it, and so that's just a it's just being cognizant of that. 
And you shared a very interesting piece on chief of staff and that position as a whole that is very misunderstood and in a lot of ways people don't pay attention to it. So I would like to hear your thoughts and your observations on that. So the first time I heard about, I heard about the chief of staff position by, by this guy called Ben Kasnocha. And he has this post that I is probably probably my favorite blog post of all time. It is very, very good. It's called 10,000 Hours with Reed. Breed Hoffman of the PayPal and and, and, and LinkedIn. And, and now he does a bunch of stuff. It's very, very good. And, and at that point in time, I mean, he was basically sort of looking at the lessons he learned by being Reed's uh, chief of staff. And so I think it's, and, and then like you, you sort of discover like, oh, like there's a chief of staff position also in the presidency. And so how does that work? And, and sort of, and, and there's, I think now, especially in the last six months, you've seen a discomfort with that title because it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. It can just be a glorified assistant or like a scheduler. It's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be someone, at least the way it's been traditionally been in in the political realm, it's been someone who acts, acts as like an extension of, of your decision-making abilities and, and, and so is that's why they have a job or are extremely complementary to to the skills that you have. So if you are a really shy person, you want, which some presidents have been, you want your chief of staff to be whatever the opposite of that is. Like if you are someone with no, this is like most obvious in Obama's first pick, which was uh, Ram Emanuel. I think, I think that's, I think he was the first one, if not the second one. It's, it's about Obama was like, he didn't have that much political experience, right? He was he was only a senator for like two years before he ran for president. So he chose someone who was a Washington insider as as a chief of staff. So it's a complementary set of skills. So, uh, I, long story short, there's it's an interesting sort of position, and there's people have, have sort of gone back forth back and forth on it. That now it's just something that people put as like a glorified title. And I think there's merits to that. I think if you can find a position that is, uh, or, or a place which where it's what it's supposed to be, I think that's a pretty good spot. Mm. And uh, can you name maybe three or five articles that you have written and you shared in your newsletter that got the most response from your readers? So I think the Starbucks one was great, right? Like that's probably the most, like most like sh- shared at least. Other ones that have been good have been, I've written a ton about logistics and sort of the, the background world of logistics. And so a couple of those have gone, a couple of those have gone really well. My, my breakdowns of, of Lyndon Johnson's sort of biographies have gone really, really well. I think that's just because that, that's actually an ex- excellent example of like core distribution, because I know for a fact that anyone who has read those books is like a hardcore fan. And I like deeply understand what that, how that fan thinks. So I can add things like I can talk about, I can drop particular sentences and then know that they will be shared, right? Just because I am exactly that person. And so I, it's, it's, it's actually happens to be a good example of, of content and, and distribution interlinked. And so those are the three that come to mind. And what I will say is that you have no idea about what's actually going to get picked up. It's, it's very, very, very difficult to predict. 
And I know people who have the largest audiences have been doing this for years and, and have no idea how to do, how to, how to predict it. So I don't feel that bad having only done this for, for about 18 to 19 months and, and not having it and not having an idea of how to do it. And on the flip side, can you talk about articles that you thought were going to do very well in terms of getting a response from readers and then nothing happened? And there was one that I wrote recently on, on this company that I think is like the coolest company of all time, or, or like is a very interesting company strategy wise, which is called Narvar. And Narvar is basically if you order something, let's say from Nike in the US, like Narvar is the company that, I don't know if Nike is a client, but just as an example of like the type of brand uh, is, would they control the post-purchase experience? So what does that mean? It means like, when you get an email from, hey, like your order is on the way, that's Narvar. It's the or it's the order about like, re, hey, you should review this piece that you just got like a month ago or, or a week ago, whatever. That's Narvar. It's like, and they handle the logistics. They're like kind of the rails for the logistics and the emails and the and the company itself. So I think that's like a really and they're they only have, they have a few clients like the really really large retailers, and so. In this story about, oh, Shopify on one end and, and Amazon on the other, I think like Narvar is, is this cool middle ground that, that they have carved out from the, for themselves. I just thought that was like a really interesting piece. And I thought I did a decent job writing it. But unfortunately, that, that did not go as, like the Narvar team reached out and, and said, thank you. But like, it, it didn't get the response that I thought it would get. So, but, but, but that totally happens. And I'm not I think it's I think it's part of the game, and maybe there was something to be done about the packaging, or maybe the idea itself is not that compelling and, and maybe somewhat obvious. But I think I, th- I think that's the that's the recent one that comes to mind. I'm is sure Patagonia a, a client. Yes, Patagonia is a client. I, I did read that article. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> I, I I appreciate you. And what are your favorite books and podcasts? So obviously the as I mentioned the LBJ series, probably my favorite books of all time. Big fan of, in terms of fiction, uh, the couple of pieces that I have read recently are called Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Great book. And then the second one is Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending, something like that, or Sense of an Ending. Great book, short, sort of to the point. And, and a lot of times, like my problem with fiction books is like they, they world build and I'm not. I don't, I don't enjoy that with, with fiction. That's just a personal preference thing. So those are, those are a few, 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 few book recommendations. Mm. And who are the mentors you look up to in terms of creating content and well, maybe on Twitter and the newsletter itself? Yeah. So as I said, like the, the person that, that I feel like I look up to or try and emulate is is the most in terms of what my style is like and what their style is like is is Eugene Way, just because he has like a, this very ob- like observational way of looking at things, and I think it's similar to what I have. Obviously, like he has a ton more experience, you know, doing it across years and years and years more than me. But I, I think that's like kind of what I like. Like that's the person that comes immediately to mind. Hmm. And what are other Substacks that are doing very interesting things? I think Mario's is, is really good. Mario Gabriel's, he has, he has like a, almost as a media empire called, called The Generalist and it sort of covers sort of tech companies from like everything from like ideas to IPO. I think that's a, that's a tagline of his. 
And then other like sort of people who are maybe a little less known, I think Fem Street is doing a great job. I think Sari's newsletter, which is Check Your Pulse, is doing a great job. That's probably one of my favorite ones uh, or like favorite recent discoveries. And I think there are also a ton of one-off writers that, that I think that do a great job. I think Brett Bivens has an amazing newsletter and called Venture Desktop. And now he has a podcast. And so I think it's a pretty good sort of vibrant community. And I'm happy to be a part of it, a small part, nonetheless. And what are your thoughts on asking your users to share your stuff? Or at what point do you think that gets too pushy? And what is the balance that you maintain? Maybe it's I, I, my personal thing is if I can't think of an intro, I ask to I ask to share. That that's that's mostly been my. I, I think most of my growth has been per, fairly organic, and I haven't done. Every now and then I'll I'll feel like oh something resonated, and what I'll do is I'll sort of turn it into a tweet, and then like sort of share it and plug the newsletter at the end. I think that's pretty fair. Like hey, I'm I'm giving you all the value up front and like plugging my thing at the end. I I don't think that that's I don't feel bad about doing that at all, and so. I think that's, and as I said, like I'm, I am trying to like manage scale. That's not to say that I don't want more subscribers. Definitely do, but it's, it's not like the, it's not the top line. It's not the top note in my priority list. And so I'm, I'm happy with, with plugging, plugging for a share or something every now and then. And, and, and I don't, I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't, I haven't thought too deeply about it as long as the growth rate is healthy which at least in my case, I've been lucky enough to, to have it be healthy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with it. Hmm. Can you talk a bit about the number of subscribers you have or maybe just general figures that you can give? I would say it's in a low four figures. So hmm. less than like around the three to 4,000 mark. Right. And so it's something like that. I actually don't know what the exact figure is, but that does have like an exponential curve to it, right? Like you'll, right. you'll, and, and I'm not surprised by that at all. I think what I started in like, it took a long time to get to 1000, right? But then it's like much quicker. Newsletters are probably the most difficult thing to grow. And again, with the decent open rate, it's not like a Facebook or an Instagram page where you have 100K yeah. followers. And at the same time, your 3000 newsletter subscribers or 4000 newsletter subscribers, whatever that number is, that is more valuable than 100,000 Instagram followers because they are giving mm-hmm. you a space in their inbox. They are reading stuff. I think it directly correlates to the amount of time they spend on your content. With Instagram, yep. it's one photo and with a newsletter, especially with a newsletter yep. like yours, it takes time to read that content. Yep, definitely. I think, I, th- I think it's, uh, I think you're right. And, 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 and I do think that I'd rather, I'd rather have fewer subscribers and like a higher open rate. Either. That's a, that's a, right. As long as the total number sort of grows, I'll, I'll, I'll take that upside or I'll, I'll take that side of the, of the equation any day. And if you had to choose one person who is successful according to you, who would that be? That's a great question. Very six that is successful. Could be your definition of success. Probably like I think I've seen a ton of like families here that are like sort of or I'm friends a lot of my friends like their parents are are, are have like came to the US with like absolutely no money and like I've and like sort of created a whole life for themselves and I think that's pretty like inspirational. So just like that, that sort of whole community of, of, of immigrants is pretty inspirational and about as successful 
in terms of the delta between where they were and where they've been able to go, I think that's very, very impressive. And so I, I think I think that's in, in sort of day-to-day life, that's 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 the example that I would give. Right. And for the next few editions of the newsletter, what are the ideas that you are playing with right now? So I have a few books that are that are pretty interesting, mostly in the biography like space. Have something that I, that I sort of started writing that's probably gonna I'm probably gonna iterate on over the next uh, couple, a few weeks about the sort of the state of delivery apps, especially in the U.S. or the sort of food delivery apps, uh, especially in the U.S. and I also have a couple of pieces coming on sort of audio and like how there are, there's this, this sort of uh, new wave of like audio based apps, which I think are, are pretty exciting. And, and I, I think people have done a good job writing about it. What I want to do is make it accessible and sort of more, more bite-sized than like the deep dives that I have personally seen and sort of compress all that into something that, people are not going to say, oh, I'll read that one day. I want them to sort of read it right now. Right. And yeah. if you had to give advice to somebody starting a newsletter today, what would that be? I would say just start and, and like, I, I think set, set a deadline for yourself. So whether that's a weekly or a biweekly cadence, or I've, I've seen people do daily, although that, that's pretty grueling. I think, I think that's kind of the, the and, and like just commit to it for the next, like don't see it as a, as a commitment into the indefinite future. I'd say, Look at milestones. So look at like three months, then look at six months, then look at a year, then look at whatever else or whatever horizon you want to plan for. So I think that's like the, the biggest advice. I think a lot, of, a, a lot of things are extremely subservient to that. If you can continuously put out stuff and, and write something on a, on a regular cadence, I think, I think you're 95% of the way there. Right. Thank you, Sid, for doing this. This was awesome. Of course, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yep. And uh, thanks for having me.